Hello and welcome into Empire Sports Talk. This is Max O'Neill alongside co-host Josh Schwamm. Today, Schwamm, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Indians rebranding to the Cleveland Guardians for next season. The Yankees, the Olympics are now officially open with the opening ceremonies this morning, even though there have been some events um, held already. And the college football landscape drastically changing with the news that Texas and Oklahoma are in talks during the SEC. All that and more, Schwami. Let's just jump right into it with the Cleveland Indians rebranding to the Cleveland Guardians. Um, so what do you think of the name change? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously big news, right? This has been in the works for a while. I kind of thought the moniker, the Washington football team, was actually going to stick, and it still might stick. Uh, I didn't think the Cleveland baseball team was going to quite work, but it's a fine name change. They get to keep a lot of their same uh, symbolic gestures on the logos because the last five or six letters are the same. So it works. It gets the job done. It's not outwardly dumb like some of the options that they were originally pitching, and they get to make their logo scheme a little bit more coherent with what it was. So I think it's a win-win and they had Tom Hanks doing the announcement, which is obviously pretty cool. So a win for the Indians this morning, kind of a Friday morning news dump, but I think they nailed it. I, uh, I disagree. Actually, I think they should have at least for one season gone to the Cleveland baseball team. I would have thought that that would have been entertaining. Um, for what purpose though? Like why? Just cause now it's like a joke. Kind of with the Washington it's, football team. I actually team. think the Washington football team could stick. Personally, <laughs> apparently they're going to change their name next year. They might, but football team has a nice ring to it. Baseball team sounds a little. No, it should be like be. it should be like senators or something. Even though you can't really do political stuff anymore because how divisive you know politics is. It's also, but, that um, Washington probably has the trademark to that from the '30s, right? So maybe never know. Um, and so. I like the logo, the one that is the ball in between the two G's. Yeah, I like that they had the uh, the top of the I was a home plate. Yeah. And it's a nice touch that yes. will go overlooked. So I didn't outwardly dislike any of the logos or any of the, the announcement and graphics today. So I think it's a win. They didn't disappoint me, which is good. Um, and I think it was, you know, a team name that was obviously, you know, needed to change with the times um, with, you know, everything obviously happening um, with, you know, Native Americans or whatever. And, you know, the, the departure from the Chief Wahoo logo from a few years ago. Um, I don't know, though, my criticism is I don't know what guardians has to do with cleveland though i feel like there are other names um you know for cleveland that have to really do with the city more than guardians i think the moniker guardian was more just a just a term to use they weren't trying to be overly specific and they weren't trying to do too much with it you know, and obviously, like, the initial reaction is going to be the initial reaction. It'll all settle down and people get used to it, and that's just kind of how it's going to be. But I didn't think there was any name they had announced or, or thought of that was more, more so symbolic that it was going to become a part of their marketing scheme or their entire image as an organization. So I picking a safe word like that that just kind of gets the job done, I thought was the right decision. Yeah. Um, 
I actually did not realize until you said it that the Guardians I is uh, home plate. So I had. I didn't see that either on my own. I saw it on Twitter, so I don't want to make myself sound too, too um, with too good of an eye. But yeah, that was on. I like that it's the same font as the Indians too. That's what I was saying before. It's all. It all kind of comes together. The S rolls around like it did before. It it all keeps a very similar aesthetic. Yeah, uh, I enjoy. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it'll be entertaining. I I definitely want, as I said at the you know earlier when we were talking about this, I want a copper hat with the logo with the ball in between the G's. I will never wear another hat that's not um, the organization that uh, we support. So I can't I can't get behind that unfortunately. But I like the logo. It's not slight to the logo my own mental problems with the with being a baseball fan <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the organization that we both support uh we are very good here at transitions on empire sports talk um absolutely the, you, perfectly there. the new york yankees um, it was quite a, a miserable night to be in fenway park last night uh, I'm glad not, you're still alive after that game. I am very uh, glad. You know, honestly, it wasn't me who I was worried about. It was the drunk Red Sox fan who mouthed off at me for walking out of the, the stadium last night and a couple of the Yankee fans. And the ferocity of the shout was too strong based <laughs> on uh, whatever was in his body. And the dude fell on the pavement and hit his head. So honestly, <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Um, I kept walking because that's just how we roll. But um, I'm I'm alive, you know. So it was just a it was a miserable and there. I was I could not enjoy the game because I was so stressed. And this is why I try not to watch them too much and just get the alerts on my phone because it was a tough tough night to be a Yankee fan yesterday. When the when Boston tied it in the seventh inning, I was I thought it was game over. And then the eighth inning, you have DJ leading off, getting on base, seals second. But Brett Gardner, I mean, what a professional at bat! Two two fouls off a couple pitches, works a ball, gets a walk. The the stolen base didn't matter. Gardner last night went zero for one with two walks, two runs scored, and a sack fly. I mean, just a pro's pro. And DJ had a good night. Stanton had a big hit. Ruggie had a couple. Uh, they just couldn't couldn't string it together. You know, the bullpen was extremely thin. The rain delay did not help. Monty was shoving. He was using a, a cutter fastball combination there that was really good. They couldn't quite get the difference off. A bunch of hitters rolled over. He shouldn't have been taken out in the fifth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, you know, about this in the moment. Or no, in no, the we, were, we were talking about this in the moment last night when I was at the game. And I thought at the time it was the right decision. I've kind of gone back on that. I mean, the rain delay, it was an hour-long rain delay. Um, the field was fine. Like if they had cut, if they had started the rain delay like ten minutes before they did, it would not have been nearly as long as delay. Yeah, but um, it was difficult. You know, it's a Boone was on the decision, right? Like it was one pit, one hit, and he knew like Monty's done. But Monty was shoving, and his changeup looked good. His cutter looked really good from the angle I was sitting, and you know, I've obviously. Worked on my scouting ability a lot this summer being out here on the, at the Cape Cod Baseball League. So his cutter looked really good, and, and it was just a tough way to lose a game. 
I don't know why, you know, when Sal Romano has two thirds of an inning and, you know, only gives up one hit on 13 pitches, eight strikes. I don't know why you don't rock with him for longer when, you know, Sessa has one inning of work. I don't know why you don't let him get out there, go out there for a second. So then you don't have to go to Chad Green, who, as I wrote in the rundown, I think he's a little overworked. He has been struggling tremendously recently. Chad has been struggling. Boone, you know, last night was a classic example of Boone managing to the textbook, right? He knew how long he wanted Monty, which I feel like that decision can be argued both ways because of the rain delay. But Romano, he knew he did not want to let Romano face whoever the next hitter was, and it, that was predetermined. Even though Romano was pitching well, you know, he I think he let the first base runner on, but got the next couple outs, and I just don't. Boone managed the textbook. He knew exactly what he was going to do and didn't try to read the situation later in the game, which is typical for this Yankee team. And That's one thing I hate about them though. That's one thing that really, really annoys I, I, me about Boone. I, I, I agree with you. Is that I don't think he, tra- he trusts great. the analytics more than the eye test, which I think the best managers in baseball, like you know the Alex Coras and the AJ Hinches and the you know people like that, Joe Maddens, etc., Terry Francona's, they trust both. They have brought in analytics, but they also look at. Oh, their eyes, what their eyes are telling them is happening right in front of them. You know, Max, and you and I can both, you and I can both read a piece of paper that says Romano is probably going to give up a hit against this guy, right? Like that, you and I are qualified to do that job, I believe. We, Boone is hired and paid millions of dollars to do the eye testing. The eye, eye test, as I've learned this summer, like I said, is extremely difficult. It's hard to do that job of the eye test. And Boone doesn't try. I think I'd be a good major league manager. I don't bring to the table that other managers don't. And it's gotten to a point where, again, last night, textbook, boom, boom, boom. This was going to happen. This was going to happen. And then when, when things went wrong, he didn't know how to act. There was no backup plan because the analytics said this was going to happen. And it didn't happen because he didn't read the situation properly. So it's just, it's not managing. It's, it's, it's not playing baseball. It's trying to work things like a textbook. And he's done this his entire tenure. And I don't see it getting better anytime soon. I think once they lose in the wild card game, if they even get to the wild card game this year, I think Boone is out of a job. I said this last night. This was, they going into last night, they'd won four in a row, seven of the last 10, and the next seven were against the two teams ahead of them in the standings. doesn't matter that Cole was pitching tonight. I, I don't – they've had so many stomach punches, so many blows like this. A, a split is not good enough this weekend. A split like – they'd agree. have to take three or four. And then they'd have to take at least two of three from Tampa. And, like, I starting off the way that they did, this is the seven-game stretch that it was supposed to happen. And they came in hot. And it just got shot down last night. I'm not ready to, you know, put the stake in them yet. You know, they can very easily. I am. I I can't watch any more of that. I was the first full game I watched all year. And I was an emotional wreck for about 10 innings and four and a half hours of my life. Then I had to drive 70 miles back to Cape Cod. How long is that drive? I hit about, what's that? How long is that drive? 70 miles. So 
So no. like an hour? Like... Give or take. Well, when I was hitting 95 on Massachusetts 3, it was uh, it was a little quicker than, than that. But uh, no, it was just a, a shitty drive back. I was driving with another one of the uh, – with the, a broadcaster from one of the teams out here. And about halfway through the drive, I was like, why am I not listening to music? <laughs> we were just kind of shooting the breeze when I got back in the car. And then uh, I realized I was just so emotionally down that I forgot to turn my music on. That's funny. Got out of the Prudential Center Park. Got out of the Prudential Center parking lot, got on the highway, and just wanted to sulk in the misery of what I just witnessed. Ah, uh, I think, and I said this to my brother last night. I really hope that Aaron Boone is calling his friends at ESPN to try to get his old job back, because he is not the Yankees manager on opening he day. He doesn't qualify to do that because he can't provide any insight. Because he doesn't seem to. Be- he can't provide any insight on the field. I don't know how he's going to provide it on TV. He was okay when he was on Sunday Night Baseball. He was all right, but he's not showing anything recently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I said this during the Philly series, even though the Yankees won most of those games in the Philly series, took two out of three from the – or swept the Phillies, excuse me. Um, I think that – the Yankees should not have fired Joe Girardi a few years ago. I said that to you at the time, and I maintain it. I like Joe Girardi. There were talks from Cash that they were going to fire him even if they won the series that year. I mean, that talk about a targeted you know route of action. Like there was no intellectual motive for that. They didn't have any other reason other than someone in power decided that's how it was going to be. Yes. And, um, you know, it sucks, too. And I think that Tyler Wade sucks. I think that Tyler Wade is an absolutely terrible baseball player. I don't know if I can disagree with you. I mean, like I said, I'm trying not to watch this on a night-to-night basis because it's giving me too much stress. I mean, he's hitting 197 Uh, this um, year. He had a few – he had an error in the field yesterday. So was I in the lineup last night. What? So was our second hitter in the lineup hitting a buck 90, whatever, buck 80. I mean, come on. Like, there's nothing this team can do. I mean, yes, you love Gardner for some I reason, would, even though he's a 95-year-old outfielder. I would outfielder still give a kidney to Brett Gardner. Who went over for two I would still give yet. a kidney to Brett Gardner. <laughs> and, you know, they said on the broadcast that Stanton said that um, all these people coming up, like Rob Brantley and Tyler Wade and, you know, somebody, Sal Romano and all these people – are in the last chance saloon. This is their like last chance to make it in the big leagues. And so they're playing well to help a team to get a contract or whatever. Why doesn't he be in the last chance saloon? Why doesn't he put pressure on himself every day to try to survive? But no, he can't because no matter what, he's still going to play for the next 10 years because, you know, he's got that contract still or whatever it is, eight years now, you know, whatever. Right. And moving on here. Um, the Olympics are now officially open. What event or events or sport, whatever, um, are you most excited to watch? There's a lot of them, Max. You know, this is this is my time of the year. I am I watch these sports non not during the Olympics. Uh, the men's road race and cycling is on tonight at a, starting about one a.m. Eastern, and I could not be physically more excited after watching the Tour de France for the last three weeks. Track and field is obviously going to be huge. Go ahead. I have a question for you about cycling. 
are the people oh please no one ever asks like sebcas because whatever sepcas whatever are they now immediately transitioning from the tour de france now flying to tokyo and participating for our astute listeners sepcus is an american bike rider on a dutch team who just won a stage in the tour de france uh, and he was the first American to win a stage in 10 years. So, yes, uh, there are a lot. Koos is not actually going to the Olympics. Um, there are a lot of them. There's probably about half the peloton, uh, 90, 70 riders, who three, four hours after the tour ended on Sunday jumped on a plane to Tokyo. Selection for the Olympics is, is interesting because cycling is raced year-round on uh, individual comp- corporate sponsorships. So the team that just won the Tour de France is Team UAE literally sponsored by the country. The second team is this team Yumbo Visma, the team of Sepkus. Um, they had a rider finish second. They are Yumbo and Visma are, are companies. You know, these are corporate entities that sponsor these teams. And when they race these Olympic games, the riders don't wear the corporate logos. So there's not as much in cycling. A head coach is called the director sportif. There's no incentives for the DSs to send their riders to the Olympics because there's little incentive because it's not going to appease the sponsors. The winner will wear a gold helmet for the next four years. And in terms of one day races, the Olympics are probably sixth, seventh on the, you know, international cycling totem pole. That's uh, interesting. So it's, is it's the Tour de France number one? Tour de France is number one uh, in terms of grand tours. In terms of one day races, you can flip a coin between um, the Tour of Flanders and Perry roubaix but it's not the Olympic Games. Okay, you should do a cycling podcast. I should. I think the uh, the rider that will win the Olympics uh, road race male is a guy named uh, Alexei Litsenko. He rides for Team Astana Premier Tech. Now, Premier Tech is a a glass company, I believe, but Astana is literally an entity of the Kazakhstani government, and Litsenko is a Kazakhstani rider, and they've been planning for the Olympics because Litsenko has been given more freedom to go for the Olympics because of the nationalism there, right? Like. It's not a, he's not a Dutch, a French guy racing on a Dutch team, you know, and they could care less about him wearing, you know, France on his chest in the Olympics. This is a Kazakhstani rider riding for effectively the Kazakhstani government. Uh, and he's been given fully away. He just topped 10 in the Tour de France overall. Uh, and so I think he's got huge potential to win the race. That's my, it's an outsider pick. So when Alexei Litsenko wins the Olympic road race, you heard it here first on Empire Sports Talk. Okay, I uh, I guess I'll go with that. I have no idea. But um, so, what other events are you excited I, go, to watch? I'm really excited to watch actually both uh, marathons, the men and the women. The, the men's marathon is extremely interesting because the greatest of all time lost his last marathon, and he had a bad day. That had never happened to him before. He'd won who? Well, he had won. He Sagan. Who? Elliot Kipchoge, he's the world record holder and the fastest unofficial time ever. He lost his first marathon in which the guy who won ran a world record. He rattled off his next 12 straight, including the world record and an unofficial time trial that became the unofficial world record. And What's the unofficial he world lost record? The... Say again? What's the unofficial world record? Like 245 An hour 59.40. Under uh, two hours? Sport. That's crazy of 4.33 per mile for 26.2 miles. That's crazy. So 
it is a little bit nuts. The world record is 437, I believe. That's 201.40. Uh, but he he lost his last marathon, you know, and he had a bad day uh, at the London Marathon in October on a closed circuit there um, in East London. And I think it was just a fluke and the great ones are allowed to have bad days, but there's a lot of legit competition for him and not the least of which from the Americans. So we've got a 43-year-old American in there. Uh, the trials were last February in Atlanta. Um an upstart, a 43-year-old, and the reigning bronze medalist, Galen Rupp, who is the silver medalist in the 10,000 meters in, in the Olympic Games and a bronze medalist in Rio de Janeiro at the marathon. So a lot of competition on the men's side, top to bottom. And then on the women's side, the Americans are extremely interesting there too. Um, none of the big favorites made the, made the team. Des Linden is you know a name people will know because she won the Boston Marathon. It's kind of a, a badass, but she didn't make the team. She finished fourth just outside the team. And... Uh, you know, three, the three Americans on the team are not the highest level, but have run some exceptional times in unique circumstances. And the Mar- the Olympics, because it's a championship style race, are raced differently than other races. And so the women's race is going to be extremely, extremely interesting for the podium. The world record, the world record holder by a long shot is in the race. And I can't imagine she'll be beaten. So I'm looking forward to all the track, all the running, all the cycling. Uh, that's what I want to see the most baseball, you know, softball, whatever. But uh, just give me give me the endurance sports all day. <laughs> this is where you and I differ. I'm very excited to see the women's soccer. If the uh, U.S. women can rebound tomorrow against New Zealand after their stunning three nothing loss on Wednesday uh, in their opening game to Sweden, which ended a 44 game unbeaten run, and check out VenusSports.co for the preview of that game later today um, and the recap tomorrow after the game by yours truly. Um, And I'm excited, of course, to see the U.S. baseball in the Olympics. You know, the last time we saw U.S. baseball was in the World Baseball Classic, which they won. Of course, this U.S. team isn't as good as that team by any stretch because you can't be on a 40-man roster Schwami, um, to you can't be on a 40 man roster and play in the Olympics, so they're not going to have the stars that they had in that tournament. You know, there's no, um, you know, no big, big players, it's a lot of prospects and you know, retired major league players like Todd Frazier, David Robertson, people like that. And I'm excited, of course, to watch, um, you know, Team Israel and see how Team Israel does. They in their second game they play the U.S. and Team Israel is a good team this year. They have their um, bench coach or their third base coach is uh, is Nate Fish, who's a uh, coach here in New York City, and he uh, played with Kevin Euclid, um, a Jewish baseball legend in Cincinnati, at Cincinnati. Um, they one of their pitchers is Shlomo Lepetz, who works as the music director, I believe it is at uh, City Winery in downtown uh, Manhattan, which is a music um, venue. They also, Schwami, have Ian Kinsler. Remember Ian Kinsler? Of course. Um, and so I'm interested to see how they do. The manager, actually, Schwami, you'll find this a little bit entertaining. The manager of Team Israel this year is a guy named Eric Holtz, who... Um, do you remember those commercials on Yes Network of the I thought I would never pitch again? 
and then I had the surgery, and now I'm pitching. Yeah, yes. That's the manager of Team Israel, those commercials. And then they're going to win the gold medal. They look <laughs> great. Um, and he um, – I was actually, unfortunately, maybe a decade ago, maybe a little bit less, I don't really remember, um, at Eric Colts' mother's funeral. Um, or you just find yourself in a unique situation tonight. Mother-in-law's funeral or something because my mother grew up with – um, her, uh, with his, uh, sister-in-law. Gotcha. Interesting. Didn't know uh, that. Yes. Sandy Holtz. Um, and so I think, you know, I hope Tanaka pitches well because I think Tanaka should still be in the big leagues. If you said to me right now, you can make a trade Tanaka for, like Jamison Tyone or Domingo Herman, I'm making that trade. I'm sorry, I'm making that trade. Of course. Um, of course. You know, I think Tanaka was a good Yankee. I agree, and he should have been resigned, but you know, I agree. Trying not to get spent up out of it because I'm already a disaster after last night. <laughs> um, and what U.S. team do you think is most likely? To, or athlete in the case of this, you know, individual sports um, is most likely to get gold. I think there's a lot of them. The swimmers have been really good uh, as of late. I actually want to give a total, total dark horse, um, something that the Americans in the room are not going to enjoy, are not going to know, but that's okay. That's what I do here. Uh, Morgan Pearson out of Boulder, Colorado is a ITU triathlete and he's ranked, I believe fourth or fifth in the world uh, going into these Olympics. And he's my, my pick to win the gold medal. Uh, he's got a, a very unique skill set that this course favors and I would lock him in as the gold medal. Uh, the swimmers, like I said, have been fantastic. I also think the 800 has a chance to produce a U.S. gold from Bryce Hopple uh, on the track. So there's a lot going on. The Americans are star studded. Uh, gymnastics. I mean, Biles has to be the front runner, right? If you actually, if you actually wanted to put money on it, you put money on Simone Biles winning the gold and the U.S. winning the team title. But there's my outsider gold medal picks. I think um, the team that I'm going to pick, and this might come as a little bit of a shock to you, but give me the three-on-three women's basketball team. They have uh, Kelsey Plum, who plays for the Las Vegas Aces. They have Jackie Young, who plays the Las Vegas Aces. Um, and they have Alicia Gray, who plays for – who's a guard for the Dallas Wings in the WNBA. And they have Stephanie Dawson, who went to UConn and play and is a center, 6'5", 210, played for – or plays for the Chicago Sky. And they're coached, of course, by Kara Lawson, who is the um, – who was, was great for many years – but she retired from the WNBA on um, ESPN, and now she's at Duke University as the women's basketball coach there. And unfortunately, because of COVID, they didn't really have a season. That They had a little bit of a season, and it was not an amazing season, but it got cut short due to a lot of COVID cases within the program. Um, but I think that that team will be entertaining to watch. Three-on-three basketball is always entertaining. You know, if you watch the big three, that's what they do who Isaiah Austin, just to get off topic for two seconds, is dominating in the big three. Do you remember Isaiah Austin? 
Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that team, and I think, of course, you can never count out the U.S. women's soccer team, despite that opening match loss where they just fell asleep the entire game and were just dominated by Sweden with that 3 nothing loss. I mean, I saw some of the, they had some chances in that game, the U.S. did, that they hit off the post, they you know went sent wide or whatever. That if they were playing at their best, that score would have been at least three to two, yeah. if not three three, um, and we would be having a different conversation. Um, but so I think those two teams are most likely to win gold. I don't think particularly that the U.S. baseball team has a huge chance to win gold especially when, you know, the Dominicans have Jose Bautista and Melky Cabrera. Yep. Um, and, but the, and, you know, Mexico has Oliver Perez and Adrian Gonzalez. Um, but I think, you know, it'll be entertaining to watch nonetheless. And so transitioning now over to this, um, baseball out of all the former major leaguers you know that some of that i just mentioned melky todd frazier david robertson edwin jackson ian kinsler etc who are you uh most looking forward to watch in the baseball tournament i think frazier's got to be right up there he just kind of got out of the game and is always a fun personality so yeah i think todd frazier for me yeah i um I think it'll be fun to watch Ian Kinsler, of course. I hope that they do well, as I said. And I'm going to say somebody a little bit um, that, you know, you might uh, disagree with me here. I'm going to say David Robertson. Let's see how David Robertson does. Let's see if he can work his way back onto a major league roster because he's a free agent right now. Former, of course, Yankees and White Sox um, and Phillies reliever. Um, yep. you know, at at his peak in the mid 2010s for the Yankees, he was almost unbeatable. He was very good, and of course, it'll be good to you know see Ian Kinsler, as I said, for Team Israel, and see how they do in their first ever um, trip to the Olympics as a baseball team with you know people, um, you know, with the. Uh, Sorry, um, with, you know, the Olympics, you know, they have, of course, um, I think they have Jason Marquis on the roster right now and Craig Breslow, who's apparently a dick. I've heard Craig Breslow is a dick, but that's besides the point. I haven't heard that rumor, but, uh, you know, those those kinds of things always fly around this industry, so I'll take your word for it. I heard he – because – he is just he has so much going for him that he's <laughs> a little bit above people because he majored in, at Yale University, one of the most prestigious you know universities on planet Earth. He majored in molecular biophysics and biochemistry. Although I don't like him already, he sounds too smart for something he did. <laughs> no, when some people just you start reading their degrees and you're just like, all right, I don't want to hear it out of you anymore. That's what I just heard. Yeah. I just heard it all. <laughs> um ryan sheriff who i think he's on the roster let me look at the roster real quick they have 
Um, but I think Team Israel could underperform. You know, they don't really have that many, um, you know, major league players. They have free agents. They have Jeremy Bleich, who is a major league analyst for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, they have um, Shlomo Lepetz, who I've said, of course, very nice guy. I, you know, I'm not saying anything negative about Shlomo Lepetz but he is the music director at City Winery, which is, you know, a music venue downtown. <laughs> He's not, you know, exactly, you know, playing Major League Baseball. But, you know, I'm not playing Major League Baseball either. I'm sitting here talking about it. So, you know. There's a reason you and I are uh, talking about this and, you know, the reason I was in the stands last night and the reason I'm going to be behind the fence at a Cape Cod League baseball game tonight and not on the field. So Yes, you know, they have – they also have Ty Kelly, who plays the Long Island Ducks. It'll be entertaining to watch former Met Ryan LaVarnway, the catcher for the, um, you know, he's floating around. Um, Ian Kinsler, Zach Penpraise, who plays for the New York, uh, for the New York Boulders, formerly the Rockland Boulders. Um, they have a few people playing actually in Israel. Yuri Shani, who's an outfielder, is playing for the Tel Aviv Comrades. Um Noam Kalasar, who's an outfielder, is playing for the Ryuku Blue Ocean. Um, so it'll be you know, interesting. It'll be entertaining to watch them and watch Team Israel. And I hope that Tanaka pitches well so that he can come back um, to a major league team soon. Um, and so, as we said, with the opening ceremonies happening today, um, what do you think? What did you think of the drones? Did you see the drone thing? I saw that this morning. I thought that was unbelievable. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I didn't get too much of a chance to look at it, but I saw the stuff I did see on Twitter. I thought it was pretty good. And what do you think this might It's the opening ceremony, right? Yes. And this might, we might disagree on this one, but um I, what did you think of the fact that Naomi Osaka's match was moved from tomorrow to Sunday to allow her to light the opening flame? Well, I don't mind the moving of the match. Uh, I don't know what she, in fact, did to earn the lighting of the flame um, other than signing a contract with a professional tournament and then backing out of the contract without uh, expecting repercussions. <laughs> uh, because well, generally people don't understand how tennis works because it's, it's an international sport and uh, Americans don't follow it the level that some of us do but uh, I don't know what she did to earn the opening torch but <laughs> I'm glad the torch is lit I think that um, we've had this discussion both, you know, privately before and I'm not going to completely disagree with you on the fact that you know she should speak to the media, but I also think that an emphasis on mental health is important because, you know, just because you're rich and famous and you're making all this money and you're on ESPN all the time, you know, and you're winning Wimbledon and blah, 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 doesn't mean you can't have mental health issues. Doesn't mean you could be sad. You can't be sad and, you know, have, suffer anxiety and things along those lines. And so, you know, I think what she did was important. In, in the grand scheme of things of helping to shed a light on the fact that athletes are human too and suffer, you know, the same mental illnesses 
um, you know, that you and I share, um, you know, suffer from? Uh, I think that the perfect way to describe it is what she said after she pulled out, which was uh, I, that she said that she did not go about it in the right way. And she's 100% correct. She was extremely naive to think that she could sign a contract and then go back on it without repercussion. But the, obviously there's room for the conversation. Of course there is. But, you know, to, to expect it to go as smoothly as she did uh, was extremely naive. So that's, that's the perfect way to describe it, I think. Do not go about it correctly. And so I think, I think it's interesting that a current athlete, regardless of who it is, whether it's, you know, somebody like Sue Bird or whether it's Naomi Osaka or it's Masahiro Tanaka or, you know, whatever. I think it's interesting that a current athlete um, lit the opening flame because usually it's a retired athlete. Current athletes are, um, you know, concentrating on their game. But I guess with, you know, the bubble yeah. and everything, they can't really, ha- you know, fly in somebody, you know, that's not participating and in- into the bubble. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, it's she's only the second person since 2000 to be a current athlete and light the opening flame in the Olympics. Kathy Freeman, who... Um, was uh was a runner and she is the only um person ever to light a cauldron and win a gold medal in the same games um and so that was cool for her um and so maybe naomi osaka will be the second to win gold um I don't really know how many women's tennis players are participating. I don't know if the Williams sisters are participating. You would know that better than me. I do. I actually do not know. I have not looked at the tennis brackets, quite frankly. Oh. Uh, I know Venus was hurt and Serena was in and out, so I'm not totally sure. Uh, oh. so, I mean, Osaka has to be the favorite if she plays, um, but, you know, it's wide open on the women's side as it has been for several years. Um, so it, it could all it's wide open, yes. Um, and so I think you know it's good for her. Um, and so, um, what will the college kit football landscape be like, in your opinion, if Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC? Well, I think as, since we started recording, it became I saw a report that they. Um, are going to do it in 2025 when the rights end. Uh, so this is almost official now. I mean, unofficial as, it, as official can be, but it's going to be a huge shift. I mean, that's, those are two founding members of the Big 12 Conference, and you know, Southeast all of a sudden is going to stand for South of Colorado, um, or south, Southeast of Colorado. Um, I it's a huge deal. It's it creates creates a huge influx of money in one region of the country, and you can start to see other schools doing the same kind of thing. So I don't know if we quite know the repercussions of it yet, and not just football, but all sports. You know, there's basketball, there's baseball down there. It's huge money. Basketball, huge money, and obviously football, huge money. That's going to be changing 
uh, regions and sponsors and just like nationalistic financial implications from this move. I saw a report that said due to the nature of the of the transition, Greg Abbott could block Texas. There, there are things that Greg Abbott could do to block Texas from making this move. So that would be- Why would he do that though? I, I didn't read Why the article. Why does the governor care about football? Well, it's a financial thing. It's a state financial thing. Texas is also a public university and gets money from the government, right? So yeah. those kinds of decisions where you're talking millions and millions of dollars, like will have or can have say imported from the state governments. Yeah, and I think, um, I think as you said, it it's not just for football. I believe that I think they're moving for all sports, and so I think it'll be entertaining. You know, Texas baseball is always one of the best programs in the country. Vanderbilt baseball is always one of the best teams in the country, and yep. so I think it'll be entertaining now to see you know, twice a year, or three times a year, whatever it is, Vanderbilt baseball and Texas baseball play, where it was maybe once a year before that, you know, in non-conference games. And I think I don't know what's going to happen to the Big Ten, the Big Twelve. Now that they're going to transition to the Big Ten, are they going to take a team like Vanderbilt out of the SEC for football, or are they going to get somebody from someplace else to you know stay the Big Twelve, or are they going to be the Big Ten and then there's going to be two Big Ten conferences that yeah. exist? That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know it's a it's becoming sort of. This could be the first steps in almost eliminating the conference model as a whole and making one giant conference. Because let's just say for the sake of argument now that Notre Dame joins the ACC for you know, as a full-time member. And so now, and I think it's all about money, as you said, because now, you know, Texas, Alabama, you know, is going to get, you know, that happening every year, huge money there. Texas, you know, Oklahoma, Auburn, Oklahoma, Alabama, et cetera, huge money implications there. That didn't exist, you know, previously. And, you know, if, like I'm saying, where it's one conglomeration of conferences that, you know, morph into a conference together in a league format where, you know, like the major leagues, you know, the pro sports have a league format with divisions, um, which that could be where it's going right now, um, you know. As the, especially yeah, as this a lot what? There's a lot that going on, and I said, like, like I said before, we don't quite understand how big this will be. You know, that's a huge deal. Yes, especially as you know the sport becomes more professionalized, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong; absolutely great thing that the sports. No, you've been on this for years. What? You've been on the NIL stuff for years. Yes. Anyone that I knew. Um, and, you know, so I think I could very easily see, as I said, this going to a league format where it's a conglomeration of the conferences. Um, and so you could have, you know, in the ACC division, Notre Dame Clemson, you know, every week and at the top of the standings, like, you know, for years, it's Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, whatever, at the top of the standing in Major League Baseball, it's fighting for the ACC, you know, conference crown is Notre Dame and Clemson, and they're going back and forth. Every game is a win, a loss, or whatever, you know, they're fighting um, for the top crown. And then they have, you know, the conference championship games. Um, I could very easily see that happening, you know, um, 
but I think that it's – I don't know how good it is for college football. With all of that being said, I don't know how good this is for college football to have that conglomeration of um, conferences, you know, of one huge conference. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know how great it is either. I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, it's so new and, like, you know, Kansas and Iowa State are talking to the Big Ten. There's a lot going on. The Big 12 is in shambles, so there's there's something – there's something I'm, going on. There's something in the water. I mean, conferences come and go. You know, the the Big East is no longer existing. You know, that was that used to be the premier college basketball conference in the country, and now the Big East no longer exists, and all of those teams have gone to different conferences. You know, with Syracuse, of course, in the ACC, uh, you know, and the American Conference has sort of – popped up as a Phoenix conference, if you will, if you should say, of the Big East. Um, But I think that just to get down to a little bit of analysis here, instead of, you know, grandstanding, um, I think that Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC is great for Obviously, you know, money, because those games will draw a ton of interest, get a ton of viewers, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know if for the competitive balance of college football, it is um, it's absolutely not good. No. Yeah, good, because now you're going to have – let's look at the Big 12 real quick. Um, now the teams in the Big 12 are Oklahoma State, Kansas – West Virginia, TCU, Baylor, Kansas State, and Iowa State. That is, of course, if they don't add pe- add teams to replace Oklahoma and Texas. But now you're going to have a conference where the best team in the conference is like TCU or like Oklahoma State, which, I mean, if you're a TCU fan or Oklahoma State fan or an Iowa, you know, whatever, you're over the moon. This is the greatest day of your life because you're going to have a chance now, a real distinct chance to win the Big 12. Um, but I think, you know, I would rather, like, I this is one reason as a fan of Notre Dame that I want Notre Dame to join the ACC, but I wouldn't want Notre Dame to join the ACC if suddenly Clemson, when Notre Dame is joining the ACC, leaves for the SEC or whatever. You know, I want Notre Dame-Clemson every year, and maybe we lose this year, but we'll win next year and then we'll win the year after that. And then they'll win three games in a row and then we'll win a game. And, you know, it becomes more of a rivalry because it's a conference thing. And it's not, you know, if Clemson, let's say if Clemson left the ACC, then that conference is maybe Florida States, you know, like maybe Boston college could make a run. The conference weakens itself by a team leaving. Yeah, it definitely does it's not good for the competitive balance. And like, I don't know how to fix that problem if these teams are just leaving, but it's, it's a tough situation. It's developing at the highest level. Everything you said, I echo. Yes. Um, and, you know, so I think it's interesting and I'm interested to see how it works um, and whether or not the big 12 brings teams in, in order to, um, 
you know, stay the big 12 or, you know, if they lose another team, so the big nine again, you know, like they used to be um, or whatever. Um, And so, and so thank you very much for joining me today, Swami. We talked about a lot of things. We got very passionate on this podcast. I think it was a a lot of ground, Max. We covered uh, everything from the Yankees to uh, an in-depth cycling breakdown. This is (laughs) my, my world's colliding. This is the first time I can tell you with all honesty, this is the first time we ever had a cycling breakdown on the podcast. Maybe we'll hey, get listen, some uh, fantastic four and more Americans should watch it. And we've got a, one of the best riders in the world, Sepp Kuss, S-E-P-P-K-U-S-S. Google him, fall in love with cycling. <laughs> Maybe we should, uh, I'll talk to Joe about having you on a weekly uh, five minute segment. If we get a lot of uh, cycling fans on this podcast, do you know a lot of people in the community that you could spread this podcast? A lot of people in the community. Uh, I don't know any Europeans. No, there's a very select group of Americans and most of them are in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> who watched the sport after about 2005. <laughs> since, uh, why is Boulder? They like, and Durango too. Why are like, why is that the place? Like, why has that developed into a huge cycling um, community? It's the altitude creates, you know, an extreme training environment and the terrain. I mean, I went to Boulder for a few days in September and, you know, I didn't have my road bike yet, but running up those, those, those some iconic roads there, just, it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's the place to be terrain wise. Okay. I will go back to Boulder soon. You see me running in Boulder, say hello. So text, uh, Text the pod to Sepp Kuss. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> but, uh, and so thank you for coming on, Schwami. I appreciate it. We should do this again sometime. And so that'll just about do it for Empire Sports Talk. This is Max O'Neill alongside guest co-host for the day, Joshua Schwamowitz Schwami. Schwam, thank you.